friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. us to take a look at James chapter 4 once again. James chapter 4, and let's take a look at verses 7 to 10. At the count of three, please. Let's read together aloud. One, two, three. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and bless You, Lord, for this wonderful time You've given us, O God, to worship You and bless You. We exalt no other name except the name of Jesus Christ, for He alone is our Lord and our Savior. And we thank You for this morning, O God, that we could speak freely because of the gift of democracy that You've given to us. Right now, we pray for the freedom and the democracy that we now have, that it will be established, that it will be strengthened, that it will not be weakened, O oh God. And we pray for our own Chief Justice, the fourth highest official in our country who is right now under fire. And Lord, what we pray for is that justice might prevail. What we pray for simply is that every Filipino will have the chance and opportunity to hear her side of the story. Our prayer, O oh God, is that she might be given, and we know it will probably take a miracle. But we pray for a miracle because nothing is impossible with you. Our prayer, O oh God, is that she might be given a hearing in the Senate and that this might be given TV coverage, radio coverage, so that every Filipino will get to hear her side of the story and not prejudge her at this time. Our prayer, O oh God, is that you will strengthen us and empower us and you will bring about a spirit of prayer in your church. Lord, please forgive us that we have not prayed enough. Forgive us, O oh God, if we have not cared enough. Forgive us if we have not shared the gospel enough. For Lord, the gospel is the only answer to this country, O oh God. It is what will change every trajectory and the destiny and the future of this country. And we pray, oh God, that we might do our work, that you will empower us, that you will give us the passion and the heart, oh God, to share the gospel to every Filipino, oh God. And we pray, dear Lord, for a harvest of souls in this country, oh God. We pray that people will know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And may we champion the gospel, O God. May we not be ashamed and embarrassed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, O God, that we will speak the truth and nothing but the truth, O God. And we pray, O Father, that you will give us openings and doors to be able to share the Word of God to people and others. We trust, O God, that you will do this in answer to our prayers. And Father, may you empower me to this afternoon, this morning rather, that I may speak freely, that I may speak courageously and boldly, O God, and I might speak with wisdom and with clarity of thought. Lord, whatever is going to be achieved in this morning service, may you be given the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now I'm going to begin a short series once again, which I will entitle The Cure for Worldliness and War. And just by the title itself, you know that this has to be connected with the previous sermons, and rightly so, because the passage that we are studying has a context. And so we cannot remove what we are studying from the context that we started uh, the past couple of weekends. And we were saying that worldliness is a spiritual sickness. And sadly, this sickness has even entered the church. And this is the reason why even in church, we find some conflicts. We find some issues among fellow believers. Sometimes we find quarreling and fighting and arguments. And this is sad. Why? Because we see the church as a place of refuge. That's exactly what God intends for the church. It should be a place of refuge. It should be a place whereby we come and we are nurtured, we are nourished, and we are edified, we are built up, we are encouraged, we are instructed, we are mentored. That is what the church is supposed to do. It is supposed to be a place of healing, a place of restoration, a place where you and I grow in spiritual maturity so that our marriages could bloom and it could blossom. The church is a place wherein our children should be at home, and this is where they find Christian friends. And this is where they begin to talk about matters of the faith. They talk about Christianity. They talk about the Bible. And that being the case, it results in a brotherhood and a sisterhood that is not found in the world. So the church should actually be a place of refuge. And how is it sometimes that the church, instead of becoming a place of refuge, becomes a battlefield at times? Some of the ugly, ugliest fights that we find sometimes happens in churches. Sometimes we go through the agony of church splits and ferocious fighting among members. Sometimes it even reaches the courts. And that is sad because we are told in the scriptures that if we have things to settle in the church, it should be settled within and not without. But some believers, unfortunately, have not followed biblical instruction, and they have brought their cases to the secular world. 
which does not really understand the issue and the substance of whatever it is that they are debating about or arguing about. And the Bible says that we have superior judgment, not because we are more intelligent than the rest of the world, but we have superior judgment because we have a superior God. And this superior God created the Bible for us. And in the Bible, we find His perfect wisdom. In the Bible, we find exactly the thoughts of God. And you and I know who God is, His essence, His absolute holiness and absolute purity. There is no injustice in the, in the attribute of God. And that being the case, we know that when we take a look at the Scriptures, we are looking and seeing the mind of God. It is a mind of perfect justice. It is a mind of perfect righteousness, and therefore, we can trust it. The question, therefore, I need to submit to you is this. How do you make the church a place of refuge and not a battlefield? The good thing is that when we check out God's medicine cabinet, which is His Word, there is a cure for this, and we see two antidotes, which I would like to point out to you. And I'm going to divide it into two sermons because I don't want to prolong everything. So allow me to just share to you a little outline of where we're going in so far as this series is concerned. We're going to talk about antidote number one. And antidote number one deals with the supernatural. Where do we find this? We find this in verses 7 to 8. A. Now, what do we find under this? Well, first of all, in verse 7, we need to follow divine submission, all right? If you and I are going to conquer, overcome, if you and I are going to conquer our worldly passions, we need to submit to God. Now, in verse 7, we also need to be aware that there is an enemy. So we need to deflect the devil. That's found in verse 7. And finally, in verse 8a, we find the divine approach. We need to approach God. Now, this is antidote number one. This is what you and I will be talking about today. But in the next weekend, wherein I will be continuing with this series, we'll, we're going to talk about antidote number two. And this time, this is about us. This is about yourself. All right? So dealing with yourself. What do we need to do to overcome? Well, Three things. We need cleansing. That's found in verse 8b. Secondly, we need contrition or what you might like to call repentance. And then finally, verse 10, we're going to talk about crucifixion. Now, that's not literal crucifixion, but the Bible says that the old self has already been crucified. So, we're going to talk about this in the following weekend. We're just going to talk about antidote number one right now. So, Let's start off with antidote number one, which deals with the supernatural, verses 7 and 8a. Now listen up, my dear brothers and sisters. When you look up to the sky and the clouds, unless there's a storm, what do you see? Well, you see stillness. You see quietness. You see peace. In fact, sometimes when you ride a plane... And you see all those clouds surrounding the plane. 
there's just this sense of peace and calmness that we feel inside of us. But friends, that is only true in so far as our naked eye is concerned. Because let me tell you this, there is a world in that area, in the skies and the clouds, that you and I do not see. It is an invisible world. It is a world, however, that is even more real than the world that we actually see. It is a world, actually, that somehow gets very much involved in the affairs of this world. If you go to the book of Revelation, we find a scene in the heavenlies. The archangel Michael fighting against Satan, the devil. And their armies, angels and demons fighting together in heaven. Now obviously that's something that you and I do not see. Daniel was also talking about the spiritual warfare that was happening in the heavenlies. And that's what we do not see. And yet it is true, my dear brothers and sisters. And because it is true and because it influences the way we live, because it influences the way we do things, because it influences the affairs of this world, we need to be aware and conscious of this world. Because if we are not conscious of this invisible world that is present, you and I would be easily defeated. The way to win the war is to first to know who your enemy is. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and principalities in the heavenly places. So it's not like we're all alone in this world and nothing else is happening in the heavenlies. No, friends. There is God, there are angels, and there are demons. And we need to be aware of that and we need to deal with the supernatural if you and I are going to conquer. We need to deal with the supernatural if we are going to be victorious. You and I need to deal with the supernatural if you and I will conquer our worldly passions. You and I need to deal with the supernatural if you and I will be able to solve human conflict. We need to deal with the supernatural. And so what's the first step? The first step is divine submission found in verse 7. And what does it say in verse 7? It says, submit therefore to God. Could you please say to your neighbors, submit therefore to God. That's weak. Could you say it to your other neighbor, submit therefore to God. It's still weak. Could you do a little better, brothers and sisters? Could you say it again? Submit therefore to God. Well, now you're angry. Now, it's interesting, submit here is a military term. And you will notice that Paul and even James and even the other apostles would use the imagery of the, the military. Now, why was that so? Well, because they were under the Roman Empire and they would see soldiers. 
Sometimes there would be riots in the streets and the soldiers would come in and they would try to quell a riot or they would try to quell a rebellion. So this image was really embedded in their minds and in their hearts. That's why they could not help themselves that sometimes when they talked about spiritual things, they would also talk about the military and use it as an illustration or as an analogy. And so we need to be mindful that when the Bible says submit, it's a military term, which means to be subordinated and to render obedience. And we know how things are in the military. If you are a subordinate, you are supposed to follow the instructions of your commander to the letter. And if you do not follow the orders of the one above you, then you suffer certain consequences. You could be disciplined for that. You could be taken out of the military for that. And so we need to be mindful that when God is saying to us that we need to submit to God, we need to recognize God as our commander-in-chief. We need to recognize God as the Lord of hosts. We need to recognize God as the general of generals. And we cannot make any arguments. We cannot make a case against God. God is, you know, God has infinite wisdom. And therefore, we need to submit ourselves to Him. We need to submit to His intelligence. We need to submit to His will. We need to submit to whatever it is He feels is right for us. We have no choice. In fact, the Greek here is quite interesting as well because it uses the imperative tense. Say imperative tense. Now, when the Bible uses an imperative tense, it means immediate compliance. Say, immediate compliance. We need to obey immediately. We have no options. And sometimes our problem is we're willing to obey God, but we want to procrastinate. We say to God, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you, but not today, Lord. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week, Lord. Maybe next month. So we go to the scriptures and we find these commands that God gives to us. And there are a lot of them, right? You find that in the Old Testament. You find that in the New Testament. And God is requiring us to do certain things. And He is prohibiting us from doing certain things as well. Now, in those things, we have no choice. We have to obey God. We have to immediately comply with Him. Now, by saying that, I do not mean to say that if we disobey Him, we lose our salvation. If we have accepted Christ, and I mean genuine acceptance of Christ, if we have genuinely accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, there is no way we can lose that salvation. But here's what we lose. We lose intimacy with God. We lose our communion with God. That's why David, when he sinned against God, committed adultery and committed murder, he lost the joy of the Lord and he cried out to God in the book of Psalms. He said, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so, friends, if we want to remain in the good graces of God, if we want to be pleasing to God, then we have to obey Him immediately. As we look into the Scriptures, we need to see them as our personal marching orders. And we cannot say, Lord, I may follow you, 
but we have to say, I will follow you. This is what is required of us by God. And in what way should we comply with Him? Well, two ways. First of all, we yield to the prompting and the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happened to us when we accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We became indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says, the moment we believed, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not just there as a deposit, as a guarantee of our salvation and future redemption. The Holy Spirit is there to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why if you are a child of God, you will have this conviction in your heart. Sometimes you're doing something and somehow in your heart you know it's wrong. There is a tug in your heart. God is telling you, you're not supposed to do that. And where is that coming from? Aside from your conscience, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit because that's what happens when we do things contrary to the wishes of the Holy Spirit. We grieve Him. And if He wants us to do something and we don't do it, what do we do? We quench the Holy Spirit. Now understand this. This is one of the characteristics of a child of God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So if I am truly a child of God, if I am truly a son and a daughter of God, then I will be led by the Holy Spirit. That's why in so many occasions we find the Holy Spirit in the pages of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. We find Paul, for example, telling us that we need to pray in the Spirit. It's a capital S. It's praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us that we need to walk in the Spirit, again with a capital S. It means we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to do because we are children of God, because the Holy Spirit is there. Remember Pastor uh, Ricky Benitez or Pastor Joseph Joe was talking about, you know, Christ dwelling in our hearts? What that exactly means is for Christ to be at home in our hearts. Now let me tell you this, Christ will never be at home when we refuse to obey Him. Christ will never be at home in our hearts when we disobey Him continually. That cannot, that cannot happen. Christ cannot be at home with a disobedient heart, with a rebellious heart, with an idolatrous heart, with an unsubmissive heart. And that is why God is calling us to be obedient to Him. Sometimes we complicate our lives and we suffer so many consequences. Sometimes situations become miserable for us. We meet tragedies. Now, some of those tragedies might be trials. It might be a way wherein God is testing our character. But could it also be that some of the things that we suffer are as a result of our own disobedience? Because we have not obeyed Him. Because we have not followed Him. God is a God of justice. Sin will catch up on us. God cannot simply let it go. God cannot simply condone something 
and just leave it alone because if that happens, then our God is not a God of justice. And because He is a God of justice, here's His promise as well, that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And so blessings are on the way for people who obey God. And that's why, friends, if we want to conquer, if we want to be people who are overcomers, then we need to yield to the Holy Spirit, first of all. Secondly, we need to obey God's Word. Again, we don't have to guess the mind of God. The mind of God is clear. He makes things quite plain to us in the Bible. Now, to be sure, there are some difficult things in the Bible, particularly if you're dealing with apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation. Obviously, you need to go into deeper study of it. But then again, if we talk about matters of our faith, how we become good mothers, how we become good fathers, how we become good children, how we can have a good marriage, how we can become good citizens, it's very plain. We don't have to guess the mind of God. It's right there. And it's so easy. The only thing we simply need to do is obey God. And so that is exactly what divine submission is. And it starts there. It doesn't start with the enemy. It starts with our friend. It starts with God himself. This is what we need to deal with first of all. The book of Hebrews says we need to fix our eyes on the Lord because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So that is what divine submission is all about. But we cannot stop there. As I mentioned to you, we have an enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and principalities in the heavenly places. And that requires, secondly, that we deflect the devil. Look at verse 7, please. What does verse 7 say? Here we go. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have an enemy. The enemy of our soul is invisible to us. We don't see him, but he's there. And what is the Bible saying? We need to resist him. Why? Because if God is the author and the finisher of our faith, the devil is the beginner and the ender of sin. That's what he does. He's the finisher of sin. And it does not matter to him when we fall, he will make us fall. For him, time is irrelevant. And he knows he is also an eternal being, so he's going to be patient. But you and I cannot afford to play footsies with the evil one for the simple reason, brothers and sisters, that we have such a short time. The Bible says we're like a vapor. The Bible says that we can live about maybe 70, 80 years old. That is how brief our time is. And yet the devil masters in procrastination. And we procrastinate, we dilly-dally, we hesitate, we're tentative. We're not proactive. We're always passive sometimes. Sometimes we're indifferent. We don't really care. And so what happens is we lose not because we don't have the equipment, not because we don't have the empowering, not because God is, is not on our side. We lose by default. Why? Because we allow the devil to have his way. We do not deflect him. We do not resist him. And the problem sometimes is we always take the easy way out. 
We take the easy path or the path of least resistance. Why do some of us have difficulty in obeying God? Because we're afraid our friends will laugh at us. We're afraid they will call us fanatics. We're afraid they might call us Miss Hallelujah and Mr. Hallelujah. Why is it difficult for us to obey God? Because we're afraid we might lose a business deal. Why are we afraid to obey God? Because we're afraid we might lose a job or we might lose a friend or we might lose employment. That's why when, when our values are confronted, what do we do? When we don't want persecution, when we don't want suffering, we, when we don't want to be mocked, we always take the easy way out, the path of least resistance. How many of you have ridden a plane? Could you raise your hands, please? You've ridden a plane, all right. I think most of us have ridden a plane. How many of you, in riding a plane, you look down and you see some rivers? Could you raise your hands? You see some rivers, all right. May I ask you this question? When, when you take a look at those rivers, how many of those rivers follow a very straight line? Have you ever seen, you know, a river, I mean, going through, uh, you know, on top, how many of you have seen a very straight path? I don't think you've seen anything, any river that has a straight path. What have you observed? You will notice these bodies of water, this body of water is crooked. And why isn't it straight? There's a reason why. Because water will always take the path of least resistance. It will always take the path of least resistance. In other words, when there is a big rock and the water is going that way, it will avoid that rock. That's why it goes crooked. And you find other obstacles and other impediments, so it goes this way and that way and that way. It's all crooked. The path of least resistance. What a powerful illustration why some Christians can walk the crooked way. Because we take the path of least resistance. We avoid confrontation. We avoid challenges. We avoid persecution. We avoid inconvenience. We avoid discomfort. We always want to have our comfort zones. But friends, didn't the Lord call us to die to ourselves? Jesus Christ did not call us into a wonderful life. That's why sometimes I disagree with the evangelistic approach we're in. Come to Jesus because he has a wonderful plan for your life. Actually, Jesus said, if you want to come and follow me, deny yourself. Jesus Christ said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Some people said, Jesus, we want to follow you. 
But first, let, let us bury our dead. You know what Jesus tells them? Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. That seems unnecessarily harsh. But you see, Jesus was actually just speaking the truth. And what he is saying is, yes, salvation is for free. Admission is for free in God's kingdom. But the subscription rate is costly. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to deny yourself. At every turn, a choice between you and God, your pleasure and God's pleasure, your will and God's will, every single time, you need to choose God, not yourself. Every single time, you need to choose God. And friends, let me tell you, there are thorns along the way. There are difficulties along the way. But didn't we say, you are Lord of my life? Didn't we say, whatever I have and whoever I am is yours? Where is that confession right now? When we are confronted with issues with challenges, with temptations, with trials, where is the Lordship of Christ? And sometimes when we are pushed into a corner, how easily, how conveniently we dismiss and forget God. God has become an option to us. God has become a non-entity to us. And finally, we just reveal our hearts that we are the ones who are on the throne, not Him. That it is self. That is our aspiration. It is our dreams. It is us. It is about me and not about God. And when that happens, friends, we lose our fight with the evil one. When the Bible says resist the devil, it means do not listen to the devil's deadly whispers. He's the master of deception. Do not be tentative towards the devil's temptations. Hesitation is the means to destruction. I like what Chuck Swindle wrote down in his book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Allow me to quote. He goes, do not try to coexist peacefully with temptation. If you are weakened by certain kinds of music, you are playing into the hands of Satan himself to listen to it. If you are weakened by certain pictures that bring your eyes, things that build desires within you that you cannot handle, then you're not counteracting sin and temptation. You're tolerating it. You're fertilizing it. You're prompting it. If the new stand is something you can't handle, stay away from it. Quit chuckling or clocking, sorry, your tongue and shaking your head as you linger over the pages. If you're weakened by relationships with certain people, abstain from them. There's a name for folks who linger and try to reason with lust. Victim. That's who you become, a victim instead of a victor. 
Of course, again, let's be mindful of the context by which we speak or by, by which James speaks of this. He speaks of conflict. So resisting the devil here speaks of resisting temptations to anger and bitterness. Do not listen to your boiling passions and raging emotions. And sometimes it could be testy. If you are a victim of unfair criticism, if you are a victim of injustice, if you are a victim of a form of oppression, sometimes that, the, the anger just boils up within you. But you've got to resist the devil. You've got to stop yourself short of becoming unrighteously angry. And how do you battle that? Well, one of the ways you battle that is use God's word against the devil. And let me just bring you to Matthew 4, verse 1. It says here in Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, some of you will be thinking, why in the world will the Holy Spirit do that? Why, why will He bring Jesus to, to the wilderness to be tempted? Well, here's the reason Jesus had to be tested. If Jesus was going to be the qualified Savior that He was or that He is, then he needs to pass the test. And what is the test? He is to be without spot, without sin, without stain, without blemish. And how can he claim to be without spot, without stain, without blemish, and without sin if he is not tested? That's why you know that every product goes through what? Quality testing. And that's the same here. And so, that's the reason why he was brought by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. So here's the test, three tests. And it goes in verse 2, And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Alright? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So what area was he being tempted in? He was being tempted in the lust of the flesh. Why? Because he was hungry. It's been several days that he was without food. And so the devil was telling him, well, you can, you can turn, you can command these stones to become bread. Now, how did Jesus answer that temptation? He answered it with, with what? With the Word of God. It says here, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is how he battled the evil one, using the word of God. Because the word of God gives you the proper perspective. And what was Jesus trying to say here, using God's word? He was saying that God's will is more important than bread. God's word is more important than bread itself. Bread simply nourishes your body, but the word of God nourishes your soul. It is only when we read scripture that we are given a proper perspective in life. That's why we need the Word of God. We need to study it. We need to dig deep. We can't afford to just study the Word of God every Sunday. Because Sunday is not enough. By the way, this is the reason why we have IBI. Because what we want to promote is biblical literacy. That you be able to understand the Word of God. That you might be able to divide the Word of God accurately. How? Through study. 
That's the only way that can happen. And so we go to the next temptation. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, Hello, Satan uses the Bible. So if you don't read your Bible, know this. Satan is a Bible scholar. I'm, I'm not kidding. He knows it from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. But he will twist it. He will twist it in the same way that he twisted it here. Notice what he says here. It says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Huh? The devil. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And probably at this time, Satan was saying, ha ha, word of God, Bible. So how do you answer that, Jesus? I'm using the word of God. If you're really the son of God, if you're really God, well, why don't you throw yourself down? Prove yourself that you are the one. So how does Jesus counter that? Again, with the truth of Scripture. And he goes, Jesus said to him, verse 7, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus gives him the correct interpretation of Scripture. That's why we need to study it. Because anybody can read the Bible. And anybody can actually make an interpretation of Scripture that suits his own taste or that suits his own opinion. In fact, even the atheist can prove his point in the Bible because in one of the Psalms, it says, it says there that there is no God. And yet, if you study the context of it, this is the full statement. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But if you don't know your Bible... Well, the atheist will just say to you, look, doesn't the Bible say there is no God? But if you knew your Bible, you would say, but that's not the whole statement. The whole statement is the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So what was Jesus being tempted here? The pride of life. First, lust of the flesh. Now here, the pride of life, which we find, by the way, in 1 John. So we continue on. The third temptation was this. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now some of you will say, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean by this, Satan? How can you offer something that's not yours? Well, let me tell you this. Satan is a usurper. And not only was he a usurper, even Paul says in Corinthians that he is the God of this world. So in a certain sense, he could offer it. Now, this was not necessarily a legitimate, legitimate offer, but this was really, listen well, this was what really Satan was saying. You know what, Jesus all you need to do is bow down and worship me and I will give this to you because haven't you come here because you want to set up your kingdom? And what you simply need to do is bow down, fall before me. Listen well. 
you don't have to go to the cross. That's really the substance of this temptation. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to suffer. Take the easy way out. Isn't that what Satan says? Take the easy way out. Don't punish yourself. Don't, don't be hard on yourself. Do this. This is the easier way. That's what Satan was doing here. And friends, let me just tell you. If Satan succeeded, which of course will, will not happen at all. If Satan, however, theoretically speaking, if he succeeded, where do you think you and I will be? We'll be in hell. Without the cross, there's no salvation for us. Without the cross, there is no hope for us. Praise be to Jesus who did not fall to this temptation. Amen. We give God the glory. So first was the lust of the flesh. Second was the pride of life. Here's the third. Because he showed it to them. The lust of the eyes. The three areas that John the Beloved talks about. Three areas of temptation. How did Jesus counter that? Again, let's take a look. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Resist the devil, and he will what? He will what? He will what? Do you want the devil fleeing or staying? Sure? Some of you are laughing. Are you sure? Then you've got to resist him. Resist, by the way, comes from the Greek word antistele, which means take a stand against. Take a stand against the devil. Say no to him. Sometimes our problem is when temptation comes, instead of saying no, we say, maybe. That's the problem. When you say maybe to the devil, you're dead. You're dead meat. You have to say no. To every temptation that comes your way, you need to resist and you need to say no. And guess what's going to happen? He will flee in the same way that he fled from Jesus Christ. But understand that. Understand this. It's not a permanent fleeing. He will return again at another time, at another season, and he will tempt you again. But you need to keep on resisting him and resisting him and resisting him so that he will flee and flee and flee. Finally, here's the third thing under dealing with the supernatural, the divine approach in verse 8a. It says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Say to your neighbor, please, draw near to God. And say to your other neighbor, he will draw near to you. It's as simple as that. So how do you draw near to God? One is prayer, of course. And I do not want to belabor this point. You know that I have been emphasizing on prayer. And so I've been calling upon you to pray. I was so blessed. Uh, during the congregational prayer and fasting, we had more than 1,000 people joining us in prayer. What a wonderful time that was. 
And last Friday, when we had a Jesus festival, people gathering together in prayer for the country, prayer for the church, prayer for the city of Cebu, what a wonderful time that was. When we pray, friends, we strengthen ourselves. Notice what happened to the disciples. When Jesus Christ was about to be arrested and crucified, what did he tell them? Could you not keep watch with me for an hour? Pray that you may not enter to, into temptation because the spirit is what? Is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. Guess what the disciples did? This was Jesus Christ telling them what to do. What did they do? Instead of watching for an hour, instead of praying for an hour, what did they do? They slept. And let me, let me tell you this. When you sleep, listen well. When you sleep, that will not delay your trial. When you sleep, that will not delay your testing. So here's what happened. When they slept, Judas came, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ with a kiss. Jesus was arrested. What happened to the disciples? They all ran away. They all fled and deserted Jesus Christ. At the time he wanted them there to be with him, they all fled and abandoned Jesus Christ. Why did that happen? Because they did not pray. And let me tell you this, if you don't take the matter of prayer seriously, you're going to abandon God. You're going to betray Him. You're going to deny Him. Now, you don't want that happening. You know, there was this huge tree in Colorado, 400 years old. Can you imagine a tree 400 years old? It crashed after 400 years. What was it that caused it to fall? This tree was a mere sapling when Columbus, of course you know Columbus, landed in San Salvador over the centuries. It had been struck, this tree had been struck with, by lightning 14 times. It had braved great windstorms and it even defied an earthquake. So why, after 400 years, does this tree come toppling down? You see, what brought its end was some, listen well, some little beetles. Not, not John Lennon, but, but beetles, all right? Boring under the bark, they chewed away its mighty fibers until one day the lordly king of the forest came thundering down. The beetles of prayerlessness can cause us to come tumbling down. So that is something we cannot afford. Here's another way to draw near to God. Pursue the presence of God. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be driving a car and you could be praying. You could be riding a jeepney and you could be praying. I, I recall Pastor Ding, whenever we would go to a restaurant and he would, we would pray. And it's really amazing how he would pray. He would pray for the food and after praying for the food, Lord, he would pray, Lord, I pray for all those who would come to this restaurant. I pray, Lord, that 
that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, touch their hearts. It's a very simple prayer. God listens. You know, when I, when I hear an ambulance and, and it passes by the vehicle that I'm driving, I pray for that person. Lord, spare that person's life. Don't let that person die until he, he knows you, until he accepts you as Lord and Savior. It's really pursuing the presence of God wherever you are. The problem with us is, is we think that we can, we can communicate with God only when we are in our prayer closets. No, friends, we can pray anywhere and everywhere. That's pursuing the presence of God. And what a good habit to do because you're always conscious of God. Amen? You're always conscious of God. So that, you know, when you're praying while you're driving, when somebody cuts you like that, you know, you can say, Lord, thank you for the persecution. No, that's not persecution. But, you know, at least you... You, because you're conscious of God, you will now have more patience. Amen? It's a good thing. And finally, meditating on His Word. And I already belabor this point. So friends, here's the thing. You want to be a conqueror? Three things. Divine submission. Deflecting the devil. And divine approach. And you will be a more than conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved us. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand, please. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you, O oh God, for your grace upon us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people who attend. And thank you for the people who are watching us right now on live stream. There are thousands of them listening to us. And our prayer is that you bless them in the same way that you bless us. We pray, O oh God, that we might imbibe and apply the lessons that we've learned today. That we would submit to you, Lord, because you are our commander-in-chief that we would deflect the devil by resisting him, and that, Lord, we will approach you at all times. For your word says that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. We pray for our country as well. We are at the crossroads, and some of us do not even realize it. And our prayer, O oh God, is that you will never allow the church to be destroyed by the works of darkness. The forces of evil are at work and they're trying to destroy our constitution. They're trying to destroy the freedom that we have. The freedom that came about because Christ set us free. And Lord, we humbly pray for you. Have mercy upon our country. Have mercy upon us and our children. For Lord, those of us who are old will probably not see the darkness that will take place. Some of us will pass away. But we worry for our children. We worry for our grandchildren. We worry for the future of this nation. And Lord, take us out of our comfort zones. Take us out, Lord, from 
our own security blankets. And Lord, create in us a mighty army of soldiers, of sons and daughters of God who are willing to champion the truth and who will not be afraid of men but will always be afraid of God. We thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that we could give our tithes and offerings for the propagation of your kingdom. And Lord, may you be so kind to bless us that we might be able to continue your work. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory and all the praises and all the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please.